You're listening to The Producer Podcast, and I'm your host, Micah Versman. Film crews usually say they're always waiting on sound, but today they get the spotlight, as I'm joined by Teddy Halloran to talk about everything a producer should know about the sound department. So without further ado, let's get started. For like the listeners out there, maybe take a few minutes to kind of just introduce yourself, how you got started in the industry, and you know, wound up doing sound and all that. Uh, yeah. So my name is Teddy Haller, and I'm uh, I'm a sound mixer slash a couple of other things, uh, but we're not talking about those. So we'll concentrate on sound mixing. But uh, I believe we're talking uh, how to interface with producers. Yes. And this also, and just to let everybody. No, I have produced also. Uh, I produced several films. So I can look through that lens, so to speak. And it, it's very, very helpful for me. Uh, of course, there's all different levels. It's like when people used to ask me to do a budget, I said, well, are we building a lean-to or a mansion? You know, uh, there's any and everything in between. You know, you can go shoot a movie on your on your phone and, you know, with your friends on weekends and uh, call it a movie and sometimes it could work. And then, you know, you can go uh, make a Marvel movie. and That's going to be a different, they're both movies, but uh, they're certainly <laughs> all over the map. <laughs> yes. Anyway, getting started with this, I, I actually uh, uh, started off in oil exploration my first career was uh, working as a geotech uh, for an oil company in houston and uh was in that five six years and then uh, got married in the interim and then uh, they wanted me to go back and finish my degree and be full-fledged at the company i didn't want to do five years in night school so we decided i was going to go back to texas a&m and finish there where i had most of my hours is still in geosciences and we went back this uh so i'm approaching late 20s probably 27 27 28 years old at this time and uh got back there and i think the first semester i was back there was a drop this is 87 uh, the oil business went kaput and they laid off 40 percent of the company i was with and adopted a no hire back policy. So it's like, well, that just went away. Mm-hmm. So I'm in school and I kind of shifted uh, my focus. Uh, and I had a, a professor in the geography department that allowed me to take some, uh, some grad courses in geographic documentary making. And so I was already a musician. I was already a photographer, uh, uh, sort of an artist, if you will and had been in bands. Uh, so it was it was an interesting uh, mix of all those eclectic things, putting them together. So uh, I took this class and at the time we were doing three quarter inch. That's all there was, this is 87 now for, for you uh, folks that are living in the brave new world. Uh, so the options were limited, but it was semi pro to professional gear at the time and we, we learn how to use the equipment and do the editing ourselves and 
course, I already had a, a bit of a background in sound. I actually had some microphones that were better than they were using. And, uh, and ended up doing like, I think four projects. I did uh, the class project and I ended up using it for some senior projects. And I actually did a special courses project for that professor and really got the bug. So when I graduated, instead of going back into uh, <clears throat> geology, uh, talked to the wife and she had a, a friend in the business in Houston who uh, knew one of the, the larger uh, lighting guys here in town and said, you know, what the heck, let's give this a try. You know, I really like it and uh, we'll see if this works. So that that's sort of my entree into the business. I didn't even know this existed as a business till I'm 30 years old. So for you oh, people wow. want to start over, uh, <clears throat> this was a, actually a second career for me. Mm -hmm. uh, I've been in it quite a while now. I'm in my sixties now, and, uh, but I, I was about 30 when I, I started in here. And just to give you some encouragement, uh, let me see, at 30, I think I was 34, I had already produced my first movie and we showed it at the Cannes Film Festival. So, oh, wow. If, if that's any encouragement for you guys out there, uh, the movie I produced was actually the first movie I worked on. I had done lots of uh, video and corporate and, uh, and some film work, but uh, only as crew member. But uh, I remember working on my first 16 millimeter film going, wow, we're actually shooting film. This is amazing. Because everything was just switching from three quarter to beta cam back in 80, 87, 88. Okay. And uh, actually it wasn't even beta cam yet. Those were cabled uh, recorders. You, you didn't even wear the recorder on you. It was a separate unit. And that's how I started doing sound mixing was uh, it's like, hey, you know, I, I know how to do this. So a lot of the sh early shoots, they didn't, quote, have a sound mixer. I just said, you know, that let me help you guys with that. And we would take the microphones and actually you had uh, four uh, inputs that you could mix down to PCM tracks. And I would monitor and, and be in control of that. It was simply just volume monitoring and mic placement at that time but that's how i kind of got my start at doing that and so in the early days when we were mixing it was typically to a video recorder or a camera and you would end up with something like a shore uh fp33 that was a i think that was a three channel mixer to two outputs and you would just be taking whatever microphones and mixing that down to two tracks onto the camera so that was a lot of my very early mixing. And then uh, a couple of my earliest movies that I was mixing <clears throat> were actually done on a Nagra 4.2. That's a reel-to-reel -reel machine. Uh, I worked on the uh, the five-inch reels, would only give you a 15-minute load. So you kind of mm -hmm. had to calculate when you got down to the end of the reel if you could finish the scene or not. You didn't ever want to do a rollout in the middle of the scene because that would break, you know, the camera's uh, uh, there stride and the you upset the actors and all of that so that that was right that was kind of not great but the four two was actually a monaural machine it was two inputs in but just a single track so when you were mixing you were actually mixing so <laughs> you know if you didn't want to have phase problems between a wire uh, a wireless mic which were very rare back then and your boom a lot of it was boom work and uh, of course, if you go back before me, you know, you're looking at all your uh, the famous movies you grew up with. That was all boom. 
there were no lavalier mics. Mm -hmm. uh, some of the early stuff, even going back to Andy Griffith and things like that, you, you had some lavalier work, but they were hardwired and you had to hide them and it was only very limited, you know, uh, that you could use those. So we've, we've grown a lot in a very short span, uh, technically, a lot, a lot more options. And I, I don't, uh, I don't pine away for the old days. I, I like what we're doing now. So anyway, that, that's sort of a convoluted trail, but it's switching from oil to sound in sort of a leap of faith. But, but right. the big takeaway from there, it's never too late to start if you really want to do it and you have the, the go-go to do it. And you have a, and you have a wife that will get behind you. Not to, and I did start, well, no, uh, I had my first kid, uh, my son, Farrick. We had uh, right at the end of when I was in school. So he was actually a baby when we got into this, which is even more challenging. I bet. And, and just uh, let people know he's now a bona fide world-class mixer on his own he uh, just got finished doing top chef and winter house for uh, bravo and uh, he's worked with anthony bourdain bunch of bunch of big shows so uh, he's a he's a mixer also i tried to warn him but no he uh he started out actually booming for me he uh even as a teenager he uh he must have been around 17 maybe younger yeah, I, some of y'all may remember the widow's might from the Moore mm -hmm. brothers. He, uh, that was the first film he, uh, boomed for me. And then he did uh, ace wonder and, uh, he probably did about 10, 10 films with me. Okay. He boomed, uh, uh, beyond the mask. If any of you guys know that one. Nice. Um, so I guess one big question I had because producers are always dealing with, you know, the budget, whether it's in the f fundraising stage or during production and that. So, like, what should producers be keeping in mind when it comes to budgeting for the sound department? Sometimes it's a little bit like uh, hiring, say, a DP. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think we're talking about medium to low range indies. Is that correct? Is that what we're focusing on? Yeah, more. Yeah, that that medium to low range indies or like even like uh maybe more commercial work where you're you know might just be one producer doing it all because it's you know a couple days shoot the producer is going to be all over the map in that world they may have a certain knowledge base that they're drawing from and that typically comes from the camera side in my experience so they're more familiar with that mm -hmm. so getting back to my earlier comment a lot of dps are uh, operators. So they're going to be operating. They're also going to be, uh, uh, the camera owner. So it's like, well, I'm getting, uh, such and such disc DP cause I can get a, a break on the camera cause he owns the camera and, uh, we'll get a, a break on that. He may even be, uh, uh, the colorist or, you know, other things in post. So it's kind of similar to that. You're going to get a better deal if you get a mixer who's also uh, owns his own equipment mm -hmm. <clears throat> because you have flexibility on how far you want to go uh, with budget restraints uh, as an as a owner operator of sound gear. So I think you're going to do better in that. If, if you go out and you're hiring a guy just for day rate, 
he's going to want to try and maximize that because he's not getting anything for the kid. Right. And then, uh, you know, if you have to just go rent off the shelf from a, from a company or, or another individual, uh, also when you own the stuff as a, as a sound mixer, you're going to make it your own. There's going to be a lot of tweaks. I would, I would hate for somebody to have to sit down and just jump into my cart because there's a lot of idiosyncrasies to the, the signal flow and the, the workarounds and all of that. So, uh, it's not just like, it's all industry standard gear, but sometimes you're the way you have things wired up and such are a little bit specialized. Uh, so that's, that's a big thing is, is maybe look for somebody who has gear. <clears throat> You're going to get a better deal because they can give you a little bit on day rate and a little bit on the kit and you'll, uh, you'll come out better on the budget that way. Un un understand too, that that sound is the other side of your picture. A mm -hmm. lot of times when I'm talking to people who are being silly about it and really underestimating, I said, this is one of them, their talkie pictures, isn't it? You know, meaning that you do get that, you know, sound is important. You know, this isn't the silent air anymore. So, uh, and, and also a, a big thing with mixers, be careful hiring somebody who you think is quote, good enough. Okay. Uh, you know, you've heard the experience good enough is good enough. Well, there's a whole gamut of quote mixers in different uh, parts of this business. You have people who mix for news. You know, I've done a lot of what we call satellite hits where we're out and you're interviewing, you know, the guy at the hurricane and he's talking to the camera and that's all tied into the satellite. And, we're, and uh, that's a different, you know, as long as the needles are moving, basically you're getting good sound. Uh, so there's all the, all kind of noise, all kind of junk. It could be crowds. It could be whatever. As long as you can kind of hear the, the, uh, the person giving the report over the, the other noise, uh, we're calling that good. Then you have corporate, which is, you know, you're dealing with people in a, in an office or on a small stage and you're not paying attention to noises or maybe the best microphone technique or maybe your lavaliers are always on the outside of the clothing you're not dealing with uh you have somebody who's never dealt with hidden mics mm -hmm. uh so so be careful who you're hiring just because you say you're a sound mixer and you have some experience doing some kind of sound doesn't mean you're the best fit for narrative work where you're where you have people moving around inside of a scene where you're having to deal with lighting and uh multiple uh, talent on camera that have to be picked up at the same time. Uh, they're in the scene together. Uh, so you don't just have a, a CEO sitting down in a chair talking to a teleprompter. That's, that's a different world. Uh, it's similar. We use a lot of the same equipment, but the technique is, is different. So evaluate it as a producer from that perspective, just because a guy says, Oh, you know, uh, I, I do sound uh, at my church. I'm the, the front of house guy. You know, I mix the band. Okay, well, you may understand uh, signal flow. You may understand gain structure. You may understand the basics of how microphones work, both hard and wireless. But that may not equate to good technique uh, on a film set. I'm not saying it can't happen. I mean, that's where I came from. I came from mixing bands mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. But I, I brought gain structure, signal flow, uh, use of proper microphones. All, all that came with me. 
and then you just hone that skill and develop it for, uh, you know, as you go. So I'm not saying don't turn it down, but, but be knowledgeable about what you're getting yourself into and what are the upsides and the downsides of that. I have a, I have a movie coming up. I'm getting ready to do where uh, it's a, it's a very low budget movie and I couldn't even bring in one of my boom operators. Even I have a, uh, kind of a roster of guys I use from high mm-hmm. to low and, and they're all, they're all good. So, uh, I'm not going to use anybody that I'm questionable about, but in this particular film, they said, well, uh, the guy teaches at a school. He said, we're going to use interns. So they're bringing an intern in to do boom. And it's like, uh, because, you know, you tell people, you know, the other side of my sound is the boom. I mean, you can be the best mixer in the world if the boom operators <laughs> pointing in the wrong direction or just not paying attention or not really fighting to get in there. It's not going to sound good. I mean, that's, that's just yes. the reality of it. So, uh, and, and here's another thing. I know a lot of guys, especially on the low end, will hire one man. We'll call a one man band. It's a, a guy with a bag mixer, puts mm-hmm. it over his shoulder. He's got, four wirelesses maybe wireless lobs and a in a in a hardwired boom and it's like okay you're our guy and uh it's just hard to do a movie that way to correctly so yeah. i i just i personally i just say no i not tell people i don't do that that's okay for reality for doc, document documentary work other stuff and I, you know, I have done that you know one man band for those types of things but as a movie i need to be paying attention uh, to what I'm doing. The mixer is not just back there drinking coffee, uh, looking at his phone and, and, uh, wondering what's going on and taking naps. Although I've been accused of such, uh, <laughs> there, there, there's a lot going on back there. And I'm in my system. I'm in constant communication with the boom operators. I use, uh, video monitors. I have wireless, uh, video that's okay. hooked up to the video village. So I, I see both cameras all the time constantly talking to my boom ops i'm typically in another room so uh uh, many of the times i'm I'm not anywhere near the set just because of uh uh, the physical uh problems with you know with being in a small room or that so i have a whole collection of uh, photographs of me mixing in on in bathrooms sitting on a toilet uh the the toilet is not active it's just a uh, place to sit but uh, it was the only place they could fit me. So I have like a little photo collection. Uh, so for films, uh, I have to be talking to my boom operator, uh, making minor tweaks during the scene. I'll, I'll be able to let him know if he's too low or getting close to the frame line. Uh, we may punt and go to another actor on the fly. And I'll say, go get that person, go get that person, you know, get closer to them. You can move in on that. You need to back out. Uh, sometimes the camera will decide they need to like float up into the sky or something. And, you know, it's like, go, 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 you know, get out of the shot. So uh, there's, a, there's a, a lot going on. So I, I, for films, I, I, I don't do one man band myself. I know it happens. And sometimes that's your only option back to producers uh i would encourage producers to really understand all their departments as much as possible so as a producer i know the different departments what they should be doing uh who's real who knows what they're talking about who doesn't 
and you should understand at least have a you know some sort of sense of what those departments should be uh what you can get away with on a on a small to low budget film this is especially mm -hmm. important on 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 super low budgets is you got to know where that cutoff is because you can have way too many people and then you can have just understaffed both of those will make you move slow and spend money if you're understaffed yeah. and say you go into it and you go well the dp can be the uh the crypt department too and the uh and the lighting department so you got one guy well who's supposed to carry the sandbags and set up the uh the c stands and do the cutters and and you know put stuff in front of the lights and carry the lights and uh well, if you're doing all of that, who's paying attention to setting up the shot? And you, you just, you know, it's inefficient. So if you're going super low budget, you know, at least get some some people interested in getting in the business, some intern types, and, you know, some guys who are uh, interested in heading that direction. And, and, you know, you can you can train them to a certain degree by the end of the movie. You know, they're they're moving pretty good. Uh same thing with sound. I've had a lot of good luck uh, bringing up young guys who uh, didn't have a lot of boom experience, but they were interested in moving into that department, into that world. And I think it's important in putting people who have a, an interest in certain departments in that department. So mm -hmm. a guy who's into lighting or something, he's going to be bored to tears in the sound department and not be much help to you. Uh, vice versa, a guy who really wants to mix is not going to make a great grip. So, you know, kind of find out where those matches are uh so so as a producer learn a little bit of you know about what you need what these departments do and it's the same thing you're going to need to know a little bit about post uh so hopefully you've done some editing so hopefully you know a little bit about vfx visual effects and, and how that works and you can make it much more efficient uh for your entire project uh, I, I also mix, uh, do uh, sound post mix. So I've, I've mixed uh, several films that are have been uh, commercial okay. films, and I've, I've watched and seen my mixes, and I've translated them into theaters and, and heard my mixes then there. And it's, it's important. Uh, well, for me, uh, I know how that works, and I know it, it. It makes it great for me because I'll get onto a set as a mixer, and I have people come up to me and go, "Oh, can you hear that? Do you hear that?" It's like, we'll be okay. And they don't understand that. I know that that can be really easily fixed and post with a lot of tools. Think, think of it with the tools we have in color and stuff in the camera department. It's like, mm -hmm. there's so many things you can do post-wise. Well, we're pretty much there uh, in sound. So what we try to do is not marry what I call marry problems to the, the track. So if you have a refrigerator in the room, well, and you're doing close-up dialogue in that room, well, by golly, Try and turn the refrigerator off. Uh, always put a sign or get with the ADs or anybody responsible on the set and, and let them know locations or people and let them know that you're turning the fridge off. You need to coordinate that with the whoever. So it's a super small show. It may just be you that knows about it. Yeah. So uh, one of the old time tricks is you put your car keys in the refrigerator. So that way, when you when you drive off at the end of the night, you're not leaving somebody with a, a freezer full of dead meat or something uh, you know you can't drive away if your keys are in the refrigerator so you yes. remember to turn turn the fridge on uh, that's a little aside but mentioning post sound that was one question i had was like 
is it helpful for your post sound people to be in touch with like your on location sound mixer and that prior to filming or is that not really needed with me i try to make it a requirement it's so beneficial to the workflow because you get an idea of what of what they're expecting what they and i even send notes to them uh sometimes uh while i'm i'll text them i'll text my post mixer and go look you're gonna have a problem with so and so uh say you're outside and you're dealing with uh, cicadas or something like that, you let them know you're going to do a, a three minute long track so you can get the cicada cycles uh, mm-hmm. useful or a certain kind of traffic. There's sometimes you don't need that much tone or uh, room tone or uh, some kind of tones, but if you're in an area that's problematic, like a certain kind of traffic, that's really weird and has a real identifiable sound to it you, you know everybody's expecting maybe uh, 20 30 seconds of tone but sometimes you need a long thing because you have cars coming in and through something that are giving you a doppler effect so you can't truncate a doppler effect it's going to sound weird so you need to give them enough stuff to where that you can create a, a, an extra bed in the background because uh, some sounds you're just not going to be able to to get rid of now, other yeah. things like you have a putt-putt generator, maybe a little close to set. You try and negate that. You put it behind a box truck, maybe, or you have them build a, a small wall standing out, of course, from the generator. Always have it pointing away from the set, you know, little things like that. But if you're in the woods, you may have it pointing into the woods and bouncing off the trees right back at you. So, then, you know, there's tricks about boxing that up. But all that, something like a generator it's just going you know, in the background that's a very identifiable and constant signature and that's pretty easy to pull out with isotope or something like that so certain sounds like that i if you can't get rid of it uh easily and in the poor grips you know if you're on a shorthanded show you don't want to make them put the little putt-putt generator you know 600 yards away you know it's not going to carry the electricity and it's it's not fair to them but but uh we typically you know have a good working relationship and the, most of those guys really want to take care of you and and we we usually work something out but uh another one that's really tricksy on on small shows uh if you're shooting in a diner or a cafe or something like that a lot of times you can't get the stuff turned off if you're shooting mm-hmm. in a on a on a stage uh, you're golden but uh many times on smaller shows you're on a practical location and you may not have you may have permissions to be in there but you may not have permissions to turn off their chillers and their coolers and that thing those can get pretty loud so try to work with locations or the owner or the manager and turn off what you can make sure you make notes on what got turned off and you know you don't want to leave them with a freezer full of cold lukewarm stuff later Yes. Uh, and I've been in I've been in situations where we were in a an active operating location, like a, a grocery store that we had scenes in or something where they can't shut the place down. We have permissions to be there. So you have to uh, try and treat what you can, but sometimes you just have to live with it. But that's what helps in post uh, knowledge is, you know, what you can pull out and stuff that you have to that you just don't want to be a jerk and go you know we're not rolling to shut that off you know nobody you're not gonna 
get much out of that, especially if you kind of can't shut it off. You know, you're just being a jerk at that point. But uh, but it helps to have a working knowledge of what is treatable and what is not. Uh, that's huge because if your mixer is never sat in a post session, he may overreact to sounds that aren't really problematic in the real world later on. So it's super helpful. Now that's, you know, if you're hiring a guy that hasn't been around, he's just coming up or something, you may not have that. But as a producer, if you've sat in a few post sessions, you'll have that knowledge yourself and you can just, you can just walk over to the mixer and if he's like screaming about something, just say, we're okay. We'll don't ever tell him you're fixing it in post. <laughs> that's, 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 uh, that's overused, right? It's almost a, it's like kind of joke now, yes. but uh, if, if the producer actually has sat in uh, a sound post session and is familiar with the tools uh, such, uh, you know, I, I know a lot of the, uh, you know, pro tools and logic and different things uh, from here, they all have sound tools in it, but you know, you really want to get in it too. You get into things like Cedar and Isotope nine and that kind of thing that those, you can really do some amazing uh sound fixes with those i was doing one for a client he sent me a file and he was in a gym and he needed me to take out some barbell action uh, i got married to some dialogue and it was clanking of other people doing barbells while the, the dialogue was going on and i'm going oh my gosh this is like it's pretty big and it's right inside the dialogue so i put it in uh, my isotope got into i thought i was gonna have to use about three or four of the <clears throat> the tools in there to even try and affect it i put it in one of the tools called dialogue isolate <clears throat> did a very minor tweak on it and ran it through there and it just disappeared it's like what the heck <laughs> how did that happen it's it's sort of like a dark uh, a dark art you know that it's like i don't know how it did that but i'm mm -hmm. okay and so there's some amazing uh fixabilities uh open to us so as again as a producer if you have the option to familiarize yourself with some of that you can save yourself a lot of uh grief on location because you'll you'll know if the if the mixer is not familiar with it you as a producer will know that look we're okay we're moving on just you know give me the best you can and let them know that uh we probably have some toys in edit that can work with this uh, again, if, if something's easy to, to take out air conditioning, uh, sometimes air conditioning, if it's not like all over the top of me and you're shooting in August in Georgia, uh, or anywhere in the South, uh, everybody's going to be dying. And, and that at that point it's, uh, affecting the actors, you know, they may be sweating mm -hmm. like pigs and they shouldn't be on camera. Uh, sometimes you may have to live with a little bit of that. It, it, you look at the big picture of the of the scene you know what serves the scene the best what serves the picture yes so uh so uh, you know it's not all about it's you know it's not a sound department movie so uh be cognizant of the other departments work with them you know work in concert and the, the stuff that's easy to take out sometimes the camera is too loud you know if you're in a small room you're the camera's two feet away from the actor and they've got a giant fan setting because they just haven't thought about it. it's on auto or whatever uh you may discreetly uh talk to the ac and said hey can you put that on you know a lower fan setting or something you mm -hmm. don't have to shout it out over the room you know uh 
<laughs> have some discretion. Uh, and uh, if you have a little bit of knowledge, that may be more dangerous than none at all. So be careful how you use what you know. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. A lot of the other crew positions I've talked to, um, one of the things they've always said is, the earlier you can bring our position on in pre-production, the better. Uh, is that the same with sound? The earlier you can get sound brought onto a project in pre-production, the better? Or does sound not matter as much? I wouldn't say it does not matter is the term you want to use. It's just okay. uh, it's just not as important to bring them in early. It's, it's very important to get a script to the mixer okay. because he should go through it. Uh, and I'm talking to the mixers here. You need to get that script. You need to go through it and see if there's any special issues. Uh, are we doing car work? Is the car work going to be a tow truck or are we going to be in the car? Are they doing what's called a French over where the camera's in the back seat and they're, they're doing the dialogue from the back seat over the actors? Are they going to be on a hood mount shooting through the windshield? Are they going to be using a hostess tray going through the windows? Uh, I have found myself many times in the trunk of a car mixing with me and my flashlight. Okay. Getting back to that, that's reading the script. That's just one aspect. Are, are you doing, are there music cues? Are you doing a dance number? Somebody, uh, I'm getting ready to do a film where they're going to have uh, these like fantastical scenes where they're going into a, uh, like a band playing, but it's like, not really about the band there's somebody's imagining this stuff in their mind mm -hmm. and so we're going to do a music video style so i'm having to put a, a playback system together that's going to be synchronous later on so i'm doing a feed from the playback system directly into an iso track of my mixer uh, recorder which is a 688 and i'm also sending a feed down the line to a pa system so the band can perform uh in power mode it's like a metal band so they've got a feel and hear the music so they're just going to be doing it as a as an over not an overdub a a, a mime track if you will uh and then they'll put it together later in post because we've recorded and it's been pre-recorded so right if you didn't know any of that you just show up on set and go here i am you know where you want me set up you, you don't know you have no sense of what you need for this show uh, you may be doing a giant crowd or you may be doing uh, something weird where, you know, I did one where a guy comes out of the kitchen and he, he's shirtless, has pants, you know, on and just come out. And, and uh, so it's OK how we're going to do that. So actually, I was able to actually put a wireless on him, put it, ran it up his back and then came over the back of his ear and, uh, you know, through the through the hair there. So. It was a big wide shot and you couldn't get a boom in. So you have to know those things are coming. So get, get it to get the script to the mix early. Now, the other thing that I try to do also is even a medium show will want, it will be able to bring you in a couple of days early. So what you want to do is be there for the, uh, for the read, the table read is, you know, where all the keys sit down and we, we talk and go through the whole script and see if anybody has issues. And that way you get to interface with the other departments. If you need to talk to the grip department about setting up a special rig for you, or if there's a, a sound issue in a particular location, that's problematic. You can work out those details with the other keys. A lot of times I work through and uh, make sure I get with the wardrobe department. 
because there uh, you may want to pre-wire uh, <clears throat> some of the stuff into costuming uh, if it's problematic because uh, sometimes that may be too hard to put on the mic once they have their costumes on. Uh, and the other thing that's is highly important is if you get the chance to go on a scout day, that's typically just a couple of days or a day before production, maybe two days, and all the keys will go around with the director and the producer and the, uh, a lot of the key department people, and they'll go visit all the sets, and you will know what's problematic on the sets. That's huge. That's huge because if they're location issues, it's like, well, we got this great looking set, but it's next to the freeway and there's a train that comes by every three minutes and we are in the flight pattern, but it really looks good. It's like, uh, even if they can't change it, they need to be <laughs> made aware that this may be ADR. Yeah. So, uh, and uh, did a movie last year where had a very important emotional scene and these guys literally 10 feet from a busy highway. And we were trying to do gaps in the traffic, but there just really weren't any. It's like, okay. And in that sense, I try and maximize my lavalier mix. A lot mm -hmm. of times the lavaliers are kind of secondary. They're just there to catch something. If you, I tried, I'm a very boom centric guy. I try and get whatever I can as the hero sound on, on the boom. Sometimes you just can't do it. So these guys were uh, isolated quite a bit, and I think they were able to make something out of it without getting into ADR. So sometimes you just can't do it. The location is the location, and that's what it is. Uh, so that, that going on these scouts is very, very important. You can see what you're – and the other thing on a scout, uh, of course, uh, I'm, I'm cart-based. It's, it's a – it's kind of a, it's a, not a huge card. I'm on a, it's a mag liner, uh, in the upright configuration. Like you were going to, uh, you know, carry a refrigerator around it, but I have two 19 inch mm -hmm. rack cases on that. So it's got a fairly small profile, but you know, are we going down the side of a mountain? Uh, well, we're gonna have to rethink this, you know, <laughs> or, or is it, you know, uh, you know, 300 yards into the woods or so, being on these locations you see that in the script and you can ask yourself make a note you know where how is this going to be and the other time you, you you'll find something in the script that looks like it's totally out in the boonies and crazy and you'll go oh no no you know we're only 30 feet away from that on a little trail and you can put your card right here and you know be good to go so even though in the script it may look like it's impossible or or we're on a train and the train's moving well later you, you know you talk to production and that's a green screen and they're just going to be, uh, you know, rocking something or. Yeah. Uh, so the train's not moving. So if it is a moving train, you need to account for that. You know, you can't get your card on it, but if the train's not moving, you put your card outside and just run stuff into the train. So you learn all those things from reading the script and going on, on the scouts. And, uh, in, in my kit, I have a full card system with, uh, uh, I have, I'm set for, I can do up to 10 lavaliers and two wireless booms. Everything's wireless, uh, on my cart. And so I like to do as much as I can off of that, but I also have, uh, uh, sound devices, six, six, four in a bag, uh, in a run bag configuration. So if I am in the trunk of a car, it's going to be hard to get my cart in there. Or if we call a dude, 
I call chasing monsters in the woods. You know, if you're on an ATV or a four wheeler side by side and you're following somebody on a motorcycle or, you know, Bigfoot's in the woods and, you know, you can't get your cart in there. You're, you're in motion. Mm-hmm. So, uh, or if you're doing a, say a tow rig on a car, you're typically on the, on the tow truck and you're bringing everything into your mix through that. So, but you wouldn't know that if you don't read it, but bringing them in super early, uh, is some of the other departments. No, not necessary. You just need to get that script, make your notes, uh, ask, you can start asking questions early at the DP, the locations, people, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, the, the AD is your best friend. He'll, he'll know the answers to all of those questions. You don't want to pester the, uh, the director, but take that stuff to the AD. Now, if you don't have an AD and I've been on shows that are so small, we didn't have an AD. Well, then you're all, everybody's kind of making it up as they go along. And I find those type of shoots, uh, in the, in the weirdest sort of uh, masochistic way. I, I enjoy some of those because there's a very spree de corps. Everybody's working together, you know, to finish the, get over the finish line. Yeah. As long as you're not working 22 hours a day and being stupid, uh, those can be kind of fun. I, I don't like to do those. I don't like to do them that much anymore, but it was a great learning experience. And, and there's usually uh you know, a very healthy attitude on those sets. Uh, if, if you're on an unhealthy set attitude on one of those, just maybe invite yourself to leave <laughs> and go do something else. <laughs> Cause that won't be good for you. That's for sure. So I was curious to, uh, hear your thoughts. Cause one of the things it seems like more and more movies and TV shows nowadays are doing are really cool, long one shot scenes um so like obviously there's a lot of pieces that you know the ad the producer all of them are working to pull those off but like what are some things they need to be thinking about from sounds perspective okay what they need to be thinking about Mm -hmm. is that they don't need to think about sound the last thing you want to worry about as a producer dp any other department is sounds needs on that so just be aware that you're going to be the redheaded stepchild on that particular scene. So you need to have your act really worked out, but sort of in the background, you know, you can't be, well, we need this. We need that. You know, you can't do it because they're not interested in that. They want to get that shot because it's a very specialized shot and it's very tough to pull off. If I don't know if any of you guys are a fan of the chosen, uh, I was the mixer on season two of that. And if you, if you know that show, there was a particular episode where half the episode was one shot. It was 17 minutes and we shot it like four times. And during the middle of the day, it got into shadows and other stuff where it just, and it wasn't our shadow. It was the camera rig. We were on a, a very specialized steady camera that could flip. Uh, I forget the name of it. Um, Cause it, it could flip between low and, and, and uh, normal. So, but they were catching all kinds of shadows. So we had to actually wait till the sun was setting. We had one shot left to getting this. I mean, you can go back and look at the BTS on that and you can hear the story. It's amazing. But we sort of had our dance worked out. So I had a combination of wireless on all the main people. Luckily, I had about 10 wirelesses out. So I had most of the actors covered. And then I had my boom op 
uh, floating around on an 815, which is a longer version of a 416 Sennheiser. It's, it's old school, uh, super amazing microphone in certain situations. You don't, you don't want to bring a hammer when you need a screwdriver, but this thing is, it's a, it's a very special tool. It doesn't work with certain things, but on this particular thing, it was the mic to use because he could float around behind the steady cam operator outside of the, uh, any shadow issues and staying out of their way, of course. And he could, uh, he was on a short stick. We didn't have, we went on a very long pole because the, the shots went from super wide to, uh, to super close up. So, mm-hmm. so sort of have your dance worked out as a sound mixer. Uh, you, you're going to probably do a combination of wireless lavaliers, boom when you can get it, when it works. And this is just the dance you work out. You're going to do several rehearsals. And the other thing, be prepared to do this, is wild tracks. One of my favorite tricks, and sometimes I have to educate ADs and uh, directors on this, is when I'm in a sort of an impossible scene like that, as soon as we're finished the scene, and, and you got to prep everybody for this early, uh, this scenario, you want to tell the, introduce it to the AD, or the director and have them on board with this technique. And then you want to explain it to the actor. So they know it's coming. Uh, what I'll do is immediately after the scene is finished and it's important to do it after they're finished because actors will lock themselves into a performance. If they've okay. just done the thing six times, their timing, their inflections, their delivery, the way they turn their head, all that sort of gets locked in. It becomes a part of, how they remember how to do the scene. So it's important to do it as it's still hot in their, their uh, memory, if you will. So what you do is you gather all the actors around, uh, call for quiet with the rest of the crew, like you're doing wild tracks, which it is, it's a wild track. It's not ADR, ADR is a posting. So this is a wild track and you just have them re-perform the scene just for sound in sort of a round table thing. I just put them all in a circle and they kind of uh, redo the scene. So what that gives you, and you may only use it for a couple of lines or maybe pieces of lines, mm-hmm. but it gives post a really good clean stab at getting uh, all the lines, pieces of the lines, that sort of thing. There was another time we did that, particularly on The Chosen, where we walked through the entire Jerusalem set in, in Goshen, Utah, which was... Oh, about the length of a, a football field and a half. And they're, they're going all through this labyrinth of the city with a steady cam in front of them. And it was a, it was a kind of a one shot. It was, it was, it had collapsed to like two or three pieces, but a lot of it was were these one pieces. So we did the same thing. We did a gather round and I guarantee a bunch of that made it into that scene because it was, it was just problematic getting the boom operator because they were sharing lines back and forth in a group that was maybe consisted of 12 people, you know, over the 25 feet long. So it was all kind of different pieces. Now they they picked up a lot of two shots along the way. Like if two people were talking, they would do a special of just them and then a special of just them. But, uh, but that's a great technique. If you can get everybody on board with it for, especially something like the one or shot that you're talking about now, 
Uh, I don't know if they're exploring more and more longer things, but that 17 minute one was a, that was a doozy. I and, bet. Uh, but, but that's how we covered it. We did a combination of, uh, of good, good lavalier stuff. I don't think we had lobs on everybody. And then we boomed what we could when we could on, especially on the close stuff as they moved around the group. And then I did a gather around on special uh, lines also. So if you go back and, and look at that shot, it actually sounds pretty good. And I don't think there was uh, much ADR on that. So I got two kind of wrap up questions for you. And the first one is, have you found that there are either common mistakes or misconceptions that you see producers having when dealing with sound on a film? Yeah, I would say the, uh, the most common thing, and this is again on, on super low to low budget thing would be thinking that you can get away with hiring a one man band, uh, a guy with a bag who's going to do everything you're going to, you'll get sound, but you, you're really compromising your production when you do that. So be, be wary of that. Get, get a team, get a, uh, a guy who it, it, you don't have to have a full big cart like me. I mean, you could have a guy and he, you know, puts it on a fold out table and sits in a chair, but, but that's his job is paying attention to the mix and what's, what's he's hearing. And he can, hopefully he can has a system where he can talk to his boomer on some kind of a duplex communication system. Uh, but have a boom operator, have a mixer. Don't, don't try and pull it off with uh, you know, you got a buddy who, once saw somebody do some sound, so he's going to be your mixer. It's a, uh, ooh, <laughs> danger, danger. And uh, you know, try and work it into your budget. Don't don't think it is uh, you know, something you can quote get away with in your budget. You know, you you, you know, you get what you pay for. You know, hire yes. somebody with some experience. Try and trying to allot for that in the budget. I, I see so many times uh, a lot of producers again are camera centric, so all the money goes into a camera package and somebody who can kind of operate it. Uh, so, Oh, we got to have a red on this thing. I mean, man, there's been uh, many movies shot on stuff, less than reds. It looked great. The audience is not going to know. I, I tell you, you know, most people don't even know how to set up their televisions correctly. So <laughs> that, but that don't get me started on that one. Uh, everybody's watching movies in 30 frames. It's like, uh, but a, a, account for that in your budget to to get somebody who actually knows what they're doing, and and a lot of a lot of good, you know, your A team mixers are out doing, you know, one hundred fifty million dollar holly. You're not going to get those guys, but a guy who owns his own package and you know is not doing anything for the next three weeks, uh, they may give you you know pretty decent deal. So uh, it's because they they're independent owner operators, entrepreneurs that you know they set their own rates and they may not advertise that, but uh, sometimes they'll come and play if they like you, they like a lot of it's uh, uh, genre oriented. I, I do a lot of okay. films and, and I, I like to lend my talents to that just for the messaging. And it's, you know, it's what I believe and I like to be a part of that. So a lot of times I'll work with uh, smaller productions just to be able to be a part of that and, and sort of mentor some of the younger guys and, and, uh, and just be a part of that, that scene. So, 
you know, there, there's always anomalies that uh, don't try to get away with something, but, but account for that in your budgeting. Just don't make it all about camera and, uh, and maybe lighting. Uh, certainly those things are hyper important. Uh, nobody wants to watch a nasty looking picture that's shot by monkeys or something, but uh, that's not going to work. But at the same time, you, you don't want inexperience on your, uh, on your sound side, because that'll be so readily apparent to your final audience. If it doesn't sound good, that's going to really take mm -hmm. away from the experience. You may have a hard time even getting it distributed or, or out to festivals. Uh, think about that. If you're just trying to qualify for festivals, if your sound is awful, uh, you're really shooting yourself in the foot there. And, and so just because you don't have the money you wish you did, don't sell yourself short. You still may have some avenues to uh, talk to people who know what they're doing. Don't just think you have to settle. So my final question, and this could be sound specific, but it doesn't have to be. Um, but what would be one piece of advice you would give producers about running a good set? Uh, that's, I'm going to give you several. Don't be a jerk. <laughs> you know, uh, one of my sayings is this work is way too hard not to have fun doing it. Okay. If you want to just work hard and, and, you know, not have fun, there's plenty of places to do that. But most people on a set are really into what they're doing. So let's, let's get this thing done. You know, let's, uh, let's work together. Let's not be whiners. Let's not, uh, don't be stupid on purpose, you know, uh, mm -hmm. let's, uh, it, uh, you know, everybody wants a good product. We're not here to, to make junk. So as a producer, you know, be, be aware that, you know, people take care of your crew, you know, a little bit goes a long way, you know, uh, you know, stuff like food concerns and, uh, and, and hours, that's a big thing. You know, you can't expect people to work at no to low budgets and, and be putting in 17 hours days. That That's just going to frustrate everyone. You, 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 there's a diminishing returns. You're not going to get anything out of it that you've worn the actors out, you've worn the crew out. It's unsafe to get home, uh, plan your day, you know, just, uh, as a producer, when I produce things, I always try to over budget, uh, as much as I can. And one thing I do, uh, insist on over budgeting is my schedule. Okay. If you think, if you think you can get it done in 10 days, that's, that's not how I'm going to do it. Uh, I've seen on so many movies where, oh, we're going to put, it's going to be a dolly track shot. We're going to lay some track. We're going to get the little doorway dolly out and do this. And we have a jib on this shot and, uh, you get towards the end of the scene at the end of the day, it's like, well, I put the chip. we don't have time. You know, we're just going to shoot the words on the page. That's all we can get. Well, now you've taken all the cinema out of it. Are you making a movie? Are you, are you shooting, uh, you know, just people talking in, in, in ones and two shots? Yes. Uh, you know, who wants to see that? You're, you're trying to tell the movie, the story with a camera. You need to tell, you need to know the language of film. You need to know that, that, that's the cinema aspects of this are important. So leave yourself enough room to get those things. Be able to tell, you know, I, I worked on a film recently. We shot it in 15 days and we, we put in, I can't tell you how many eight hour days. It was like, how are we getting this done? But the director was super focused, knew what he wanted. We weren't spending a lot of time on, on stupid stuff. Everything was pre-planned. 
uh, you know, costs no money to do pre-planning. Yes. You know, spend your, spend your no money there. <laughs> not, not on people who deserve a little bit. Uh, so be smart, you know, plan, 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 then shoot, uh, over budget your schedule just for the, for the days you think if, if you plan it down on the wire, you're, you're going to be missing days. You, then now you're having to come back and, Oh, we can't get that actor. And we've got a different crew. We can only, you know, you get in all those kind of problems. So, uh, be smart about it. Sounds good. Well, thank you very much, Teddy, for coming on and talking about the whole aspect of sound and producing. Until next time, make sure to subscribe to The Producer Podcast, and thanks for listening.